Well, it's always good to open up the Word of God. And when I listen to Lynn pray up here, I I talk when somebody else is praying. And I had someone not too long ago opened up their eyes and said, I wondered who you were talking to. And I said, well, I was just agreeing with what they were praying. I was in prayer meeting on a Wednesday night and Betty Jo Craft was sitting behind me and someone was praying and Betty Jo was back there going, so be it, so be it, so be it. I mean, she was just putting her amen on everything that was said. Alright, well today, by the way, Ken and Wilma, Wilma, God bless you. Sixty-two years. Well, all I have to say is da 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 da. Stand by your man. There you go. She has. Amen. Amen. Next um, Sunday, maybe you saw in the bulletin that I'll be preaching uh, next Sunday for Dr. E. And so I'll be filling the pulpit, but I'll be in here too. I, I feel like it is such an honor uh, to preach and enjoy standing behind that sacred desk. But there's nothing like being in this class. And uh, boy, this is, man, this is where it's at. And I uh, love you guys so much. We have such a wonderful class and just an honor to be in here today. Alright, we turn the corner and go to 2 Peter. And so, 2 Peter chapter 1. A bit of background on 2 Peter. If you'll take the book of Jude and the book of 2 Peter, they go hand in hand. It's almost like who read who first. And they are two books of the Bible that uh, deal with controversy and deal with apostates. They deal with the people of God holding firm to the truth. And Second Peter and Jude are worried that the church is watering down its message. Instead of the church changing the world, the world was changing the church. And that's really what was happening here. And so, 2 Peter, Jude go hand in hand with that message. By this time, Peter is close to his death. He knows that by all likelihood he's going to be martyred. And so, Peter is concerned in these last days of his life, that he can finish the course well. And I, I think we all need to be concerned about that. It's not how well you start, but how well you finish the race. I heard an old Pentecostal preacher say, it's not how high you jump, but how straight you walk when you come down. And I think that's true. There are misconceptions about the Christian life. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? How 
do you define the Christian life? Well, I can tell you, I've been around long enough to know it's not being perfect. Look around you. I mean, there, there's no one here today that can walk on water. We are not perfect. So, the Christian life, how do you define what a Christian is? Peter says, here is an example. An example of what not to do. Now, Peter was the guy, remember, that rushed in always, opened up his mouth, and then had to backtrack. Boy, I can identify with that. Have you ever said something and you said, Oh Lord, I wish I could take that back. Have you ever done something, had to go back and apologize and say, Oh, I wish I could relive that moment. Have you ever married... No, we won't go there, alright? <laughs> wish I'd have waited on somebody else. No, now listen to me. There, there, are, there are times in our Christian life where we fail to live up to the standard of Christ. Now, if you look in 1 Peter chapter 5... Verse 12. Back in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. Now look at the last phrase you find in that verse. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. I remember years ago I went on a mission trip to Brazil. And uh, I was all excited about going down the Amazon and going to what they called invasion areas where the people really that had moved in there were invading the Amazon. They were building churches. And so it was an evangelistic trip to go to these new churches that were founded there. When I got out of the boat, I stepped on the shore and I lost my shoes. It was the thickest, stickiest, most miry mud I'd ever seen in my life. And I literally stepped out of my shoes. Stepped into the mud. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if every child of God could be that glued to their faith? That solid in what they believe. And that's, that's what Peter says. Stand Firm in it. Now, chapter 1. 2 Peter. I want to read just verses 10 and 11 in 2 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, if you want to focus on verse 10, Peter says, if you practice these things, then you will never stumble. Have you ever heard anyone use this phrase? I'm practicing the Christian life. I never have. 
No, they'll say this. I'm living the Christian life. But really, every single day is trying to practice, trying to live that Christ life in our life. We, we try to live His love. We try to live His peace. We try to live His life. The word know or knowledge is found 13 times in this short epistle. Now, someone told me this story, this illustration years ago, so I'm, I'm going to take it to the bank and try to believe it's true, but they were talking about counterfeiting. And someone told me years ago that at the Mint, that when they've got training for people that try to figure out if a bill is counterfeit, they said they don't look at the counterfeit, but they stare and observe and look at the real, genuine bill. And they look at the genuine bill so much that they can spot the counterfeit. That is what our Christian life should be like. Don't look at the counterfeit. Stare and look at Christ so much that you can identify something that's not true. That's error. Now, Peter opened up this letter with a description of the Christian life. Let me share with you three things that we find here. There are three ways to identify the real Christian. Number one, the Christian life begins by faith. It begins with faith. You did not get saved by doing good works. You can't be good enough. In fact, if you did good works to be saved, guess what? You can do good works to be saved and bad works to be lost. Alright? So look here at verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4. Let's read those. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these... He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, notice that Peter says in verse number 1, we have a faith that is just like Peter's. I, I think that's amazing. That... The same kind of faith that Peter had was passed down and passed down and passed down. Peter got saved the same way I got saved. I got saved the same way Peter did. Our faith is in a person. Now notice here in verse number 1 and 2. It says that 
this person is Savior and Lord. Now we find the word Savior in verse 1. We find the word Lord in verse 2. Now the word Savior, of course, we understand that. Someone who rescues us from our sins, our plight. But the word Lord means someone that is in charge of our life. You cannot be saved without making Christ Lord. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ is Lord. And that is the big issue of the Christian life. Who is going to run your life? Who is going to be in charge of your life? Now, in verse number 3, we find that faith involves power. It says, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Power. You know, uh, we all want something powerful in our life. I, I remember I, I heard the story about the guy who bought a Rolls Royce. And uh, he bought a Rolls Royce and he got the owner's manual out. And uh, he was wondering what the horsepower was of that motor. And it wasn't in there. So he went to the dealership. And he said, I want to know what the horsepower is in this motor. Dealership said, we don't know. So they rode over to England. And they said, what is the horsepower of this motor? They got one word back. It said, enough. Enough. I want you to know that the power of Christ in your life is enough. It's enough to save you and to keep you saved. It's enough to see you through the valleys of life. It's enough to take you from this world into glory one day. It is enough. Amen? It's enough. Man, there have been a lot of things I've been disappointed in in life, but I've never been disappointed in Christ. He is enough. Now, verse number 4. You find promises here. Verse number 4, faith involves promises. It says, For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. Now stop right there and just think about all the things God has promised you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. My God will supply all your need according to His riches and glory. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord, who are called according to His purpose. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. Call to Me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not. God has wonderful, magnificent promises in His Word. He does. Now, in verse 4, notice this word nature. We are partakers of a divine nature. Now, what does it mean 
to have a new nature? Well, it, it means that when I got a new nature, I got a new appetite. A pig has an appetite for slop. Because that's a pig's nature. A cow has an appetite for hay because that's a cow's nature. You know, I've always wondered how a cow can be brown, eat green grass, and give white milk. I've always wondered that. <laughs> Cows get feed based on their nature. Pigs get feed based on their nature. A child of God gets nourishment and feed based on our new nature. Man, I crave the Word of God. It's like eating candy. By the way, you know what the number one selling candy is in South Carolina this time of the year? Candy corn. That's right. Candy corn. You might as well take a handful of sugar and eat it. That's what it is. Every dentist is singing the Hallelujah Chorus. Eat it, baby, eat it. That's what they say in Oklahoma. Drill, baby, drill. Alright. It's for oil there though. Now, an appetite. Nature also determines behavior. A dolphin swims in the water. That is their behavior. A child of God swims with other Christians because that is our behavior. Nature determines association. Man, I want to associate with the people of God. You know, I, I know I work here, but man, I, I love being here. I love hanging out here. Because we have faith. Faith in Christ gives us that new nature. The Christian life. Don't let anyone ever tell you it's based on works. It's not based on works. It's based on the work of Christ. By faith. By faith. That is our starting point, our beginning point. Alright, got to move on. Number two. Stay with me. Y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Alright, there we go. Number two. Faith results in spiritual growth. And that's verses 5 through 7. Let, let's read these verses 5 through 7. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self control, and in your self control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. In verses 5 through 7, there are seven qualities mentioned. Now, Peter is saying, if you started by faith, you've got to move on and have spiritual growth in your life. And Peter is saying, these seven qualities ought to be in your life. 
Now let's just go through them real quick, alright? Number one, moral excellence. Virtue. It means a fulfillment of a thing. That word in Greek means a fulfillment of a thing. In other words, if I've got virtue in my life, I am fulfilling the grace and the goodness that Christ has given me. Number two, knowledge. Verse 5 mentions knowledge. It means to have full knowledge. It means to have a full knowledge of the things of God. I am surprised at how many times I hear the people of God say something that just isn't right. And, and they just keep on saying it. You know, I, I've heard this a thousand times. Someone will say, well, you know what? In the Bible it says, God helps those who help themselves. Well, that's not in the Bible. I mean, there are a lot of good sayings, but you know, they're not in Scripture. And so, we need to have full knowledge. Number three, self-control. Self-control. Temperance, it's called. Now, that word temperance means to be slow to act. It means to have a long fuse in your life. It means that when something irritates you, you can count to a hundred before you react. Sometimes you need to count to a thousand, don't you? It would be easy to talk about politicians right now, wouldn't it? Don't you wish they all had a good dose of temperance? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32 says this, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. And there, there's no doubt about it. We are unable to rule our spirits. That's why it's Christ in us that gives us the ability to do that. I mean, we can't do it by ourselves. We need to have Christ in us controlling our spirit. Alright, number four. Four is perseverance. Perseverance. Uh, verse number six mentions that. Uh, perseverance is the ability to drive forward. To keep on plowing. It is endurance to keep on moving. You know the old cartoon? How did the snail get in the ark? By perseverance, it just kept on going. Alright, number five. Godliness. And this is found in verse number six. Godliness. That word there means God-likeness. One commentary said it means to worship well. To worship well. And I thought that was interesting. If you have godliness in your life, you can worship well. You now there's a lot of debate today on worship styles. You know the number one thing that will divide a church? Music. Oh, we're too contemporary. We're too traditional. We sing too many hymns. Oh, we sang too many choruses. 
You know what the 711 song is, right? That's right, same little verse 11 times. That's right, 711 song. Now, worship is what you do when you're in the presence of God and you don't have to sing a lick to worship. You can worship in quietness. Did not the psalmist say, Be still and know that I am God. And so, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 talks about, uh, about godliness and about worship. And if you got your Bible, I want you to look over to Romans 12, verse 10 real quick. Look at that verse. Romans 12.10, this actually ties in with the next one. But Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. And so, if we've got godliness in our life, we're going to treat other people in the right way. And then, the sixth quality is brotherly kindness, which ties in with that verse too. In fact, verse number 7 says... And in your godliness, see how they're tied together? And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And so, Peter is saying that godliness and brotherly kindness really do go together. Alright, number seven, look at this. The seventh quality is sacrificial love. Again, verse number seven ends up with the word love. Love to most people is an emotion. Love to most people is something that, that you got today but can be gone tomorrow. I always get tickled when I have couples come in for wedding counseling, premarital counseling. You know, they always look so good. You know, he's in love with her, she's in love with him. I mean, they're, they're just surfy and, you know, they call each other on the phone all the time and. And you know, when they call each other on the phone, they say, well, I've got to go. And, and one says, okay, goodbye. And, and then the other one says, are you still there? And they go, yeah. And then the other one says, well, I'll hang up if you hang up. And, you know, it just goes on and on and on and on. You know what they call that? And they called it puppy love. There we go. I'm on a singing jag today, I tell you. <laughs> tell Steve Phillips, I want my solo. There we go. Now, but you know, everyone thinks that love is something that is just this wonderful emotion. Man, love is something you've got to gut it out. Isn't that right, Wilma? You just got to... <laughs> You just got to gut it out. <laughs> just stay there, Ken. All right. Now, when it comes to love, you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13 has all kinds of verbs. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not give up. Love, I mean, on and on and on. It's not emotion. 
It's a willful act. Sometimes you just got to love people in spite of who they are. You just got to love them. All right. Now, now I'm not looking that way now. I'm not. (laughs) Number three. All right. The Christian life begins by faith. Moves on to spiritual growth. But number three, the, the spiritual growth brings practical results. And that's verses 8 through 11. And let's read those verses, 8 through 11. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, how can a believer know that they are growing spiritually? Let me give you three evidences. Number one, they bear fruit. They bear fruit. Verse number eight talks about us being fruitful, not unfruitful. Now let me ask you a question. Of all the miracles that Jesus did, He did a lot of them. Did Jesus ever do a destructive miracle? A destructive miracle? The answer is yes. One time. He cursed a fig tree. He brought death to a fig tree. Why? Because it didn't bear fruit. Remember remember the story? He goes by the fig tree, reaches out for fruit. There's no fruit there. And he curses a fig tree. They come back later, the tree's dead. Boy, I read that and I think, Lord, you are serious about your people bearing fruit. If that is the only destructive miracle that Jesus ever did. So there's got to be fruit. Number two, there's got to be vision. Look at verse number nine. The Bible talks about in verse number 9, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted. Got to have vision. Boy, thank God for a pastor like Dr. Eastead who had a vision. 30 years ago when he came, he had a vision of a family life center. He had a vision of a sanctuary. He had a vision of reaching people. He had a vision of what what we could be. Got to be vision. Uh, Phillips Brooks, the great preacher, was one time asked, how do you bring revival to a church? Phillips Brooks said, I'd do two things. Number one, I'd stand up and preach a missionary sermon. Number two, I'd take an offering. (laughs) I thought that was funny. Take an offering. But if God 
If God has your pocketbook, guess what? He's got you. He's got you. Alright. Gotta have fruit. Gotta have vision. But number three, you've got security. And that's verses 10 and 11. And that passage, it says, to make certain. There in verse number 10. To make certain. Spiritual growth can have practical results. So, begins by faith. Moves on to spiritual growth. Moves on to practical results in your life. The beginning of the Christian life. Let me show you the end. Remember I told you that 2 Peter and Jude go together? Let me close with this. Find the book of Jude. I know you might not know where that little book is. It's right before Revelation. If you find the last book of the Bible, Revelation, Jude is right before that. Jude, verse 24 and 25. Here's the end. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. I am going to stand in His presence one day, blameless, all because of Calvary. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word today. Lord, may Your blessings be upon the people of God in this place. God, we know it begins by faith. But Lord, help us to have those practical results. May others see Jesus in us. In His name I pray. Amen.